Today, Craig is a big day for this guy. This guy right here. This guy with two thumbs standing right here. Uh, this guy. You know why? The third person. You know why? Well, it seems to it seems to work for it works. It works for you. But you know why? There's some guest that you hound your co-host to get on because you have proximity to people that I don't. You hound them to get them. You say, hey, Craig, come on, get this guy, get this guy. And, and your co-host promises and he promises and he promises. And finally, he pulls through. And today, you've pulled through with a big dog, a dog that is named Scott Galloway. And for a guy like myself who prides himself on being a marketer, to be able to talk to someone as next level marketer someone who is a stern you know he's literally i'm gonna, I'm gonna give some stats here on scott just so we'll give some people some context craig um but you well, have i'm just excited how excited you are peter well I listen mean, you- it's professor galloway right i follow him on youtube i follow him on i've read his books i watch his ted talks i you know everything about him he's just a prognosticator of marketing and trends and social things and when he listens i mean i'm sorry when he says stuff Big billion dollar companies listen. So to have him on the Bulletproof Dental Practice podcast is next level for me. And I promise not to blow it like I did with Patrick Bed David. You didn't blow it. You were just nervous. It was cute. It was cute. You're just nervous. You're well, like, uh, you this were is like, another thing. I mean, Professor Galloway is one of those things for me, right? So he's a marketing genius at NY um, New York University School, Stern School of Business, right? In uh, business brand strategy and digital marketing. And he teaches second year MBA students who but are- But also uh, he's like widely recognized. CNBC has him on all the time. All the time. And, and I just want to pause for one Dude, second. He's got a I, TED talk with over 3 million views. But go ahead Okay, but I want to, so the, for the dentist listening, pause for one second, because we're going off, Pete and I are going off in this business stuff, but this is extremely relevant because mm-hmm. he has a lot of thoughts about dentistry and there's a lot of ideas about what our future is. And when, when like Pete said, when he talks, people shut up and listen. Mm-hmm. So this is such a rare opportunity to have a guy guy like that who winds up on national TV, he would never talk about dentistry. He could never get a guy like that to, to come talk in about and talk dentistry. about it. Never, right. ever. I don't care. I mean, if you had a couple couple extra zeros, maybe you could, but he's doing it for free with us. And it's going to well, be listen, awesome. he's been, you know, and, and if you want to do some research on him, just to kind of, I, I would recommend these books. I really would. It's, he's written The Algebra of Happiness in 2019. I love that one, by the way. Loved he wrote it. The Four, which talks about the DNA of companies like Amazon and Apple and Facebook. Like we always talk about in summits, like how they've, that's kind of the fabric of our society now. He's writing a new book um, about Corona. It's called Post Corona. No way, I didn't know that. Yeah, from crisis to opportunity, which we talk about in our mastermind all the time mm-hmm. is how like, you know, it, it is this crisis, but it's, there's going to be massive opportunities that come from it. Um, he's been a founder of company. You know, he's founder of Red Envelope, by the way. Did you know that? Remember that uh, I did know that. that. Did? I did know okay. that. Yeah. But um, anyway, he's just- And what was that YouTube channel, that those YouTube talks that he had that I used to, I love those. My Ted. God. Ted talk. No, 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 no. He had a YouTube, like these little snippets. Um, oh yeah. 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 He just oh does. Um, that was for L2 when he had the, yeah, uh, he sold the business intelligence firm. Yeah. And he used to do that. So, and he's yeah. so freaking funny by the way. So you meet him and he's, he's dry, but he's raw and he's profane and funny as fuck. He's, it's, he's his podcast is funny. funny. He goes off and calls himself the dog. So I can't wait. But he also self-deprecating. He's just uh-huh, so yeah. funny how he talks about getting into economics to pick up chicks. And he's just, he's just a, an absolute genius. And I'm really happy he's not listening to this intro because if he was here, he'd probably be like, yeah, yeah we're going to pivot and do intros when we have guests do it just like this because that's a better format than imagine if someone was sitting there having to listen to this shit right? yeah it'd like, be annoying it'd be annoying <laughs> it's annoying hearing about yourself it's annoying hearing about yourself. what do you what do you do by then you just sit on your hands and wait for them to be done yeah and then um, they and they get it wrong you can't correct them because if you say something wrong you seem like a jackass like no actually i won a better award than that i wasn't just it doesn't three million views on ted it was actually 4.6 you sit there and you read shit and then you're like 
oh my god this is so like regurgitating stuff well first of all peter you and i wouldn't know because we don't have a laundry list of shit that we've accomplished that that that's that great it's true it's so true. it's all well we're, my we're mom saying, would disagree my mother would yeah disagree. as would mine actually no my mom actually puts me down a lot that's the old uh, jewish mom <clears throat> well anyway everybody bulletproof squad i can't wait for you guys to listen yeah. and get ready put your seatbelts on and let's get ready for scott galloway yes so scott pete is a huge huge fan like he's gonna get nervous so just don't don't oh, razzle him too pete much has exceptional judgment I, I, let's press the fucking report it's the record button. it's already recording there you're not getting professor galloway dental you know what i've been waiting to say what's that professor galloway where does this podcast find you that's right just down the road from you delray beach Delray nice. Beach, and the reason we moved here, the great weather, the beautiful schools, and outstanding progressive dentistry. That progressive. I hear it. Delray. Down here. Are we recording? Are we on this Joey Bag of Donuts podcast? <laughs> Look in your corner. Are we actually recording? recording? <laughs> yeah, we are recording. Okay, well, let's get on it. What do you do? What is the, what? Okay, what the hell do we do on a dental podcast? And, and how the fuck did I get here, Craig? Yes, let's how talk about that. How did I get here? I don't know if you've heard, but I'm kind of a big deal. I'm you kind are. of a big deal. I literally, just got off a, I literally just got off of CNN. I'm going on to BBC and in between the Bulletproof podcast. Oh, my God, how far have I fallen? How yes. far have I fallen? Yes, Wait, well. And they made me turn on the We video. have 119 listeners now. Settle down. Settle down. Yes, we're, we're a big deal, too. Yeah, Uzbekistan, we're trending, just so you know. Craig's it, it, reaching out to his dozens and dozens of fans. Yes, yes. My, All right, yeah. doctors, go ahead. What, yeah. Lay it on me. What do you? What? What? How can I illuminate the world of dentistry? Oh wow. my God! In so many ways. So Scott, first of all, yeah. um, I appreciate you doing this, and um, sure, you're brother. the one. I, you're you're very nice to oblige to do this, and I recognize your time is valuable. So, yeah. with having said that, you are like the guru of understanding where retail and businesses are trending and, and you, you kind of see things before they happen. Mm -hmm. So I know when we've talked briefly about dentistry, you know, you were nice enough to say some kind words about my practice and you, I we would love to hear your thoughts about how, especially with the COVID crisis and, you know, remote services, how, what you see for dentistry and how you see it unfolding in the future. So the general trend across retail and services is down, Craig. It's down. That's the yes. trend. Down. Uh, look, it, I'm not sure I have any special insight into dentistry. There's a couple things that I think dentists want to be thinking about, and that is, if there is, I always think, okay, I, I learned how to serve in Costa Rica, and I, I thought I got an impression or deluded myself into thinking I actually know how to surf because in Costa Rica the architecture of the, of, of the land and the way it slopes up or the, the sandbars and the way it slopes up and the currents manufacture a set of perfect tubular waves that a 90-year-old could, could surf on. And so you start believing, okay, I'm good. I'm, I can actually do this. And then I get back to Florida and I try and go out when the waves are up and I realize I have absolutely no ability to surf. So what you want to do is, as a business person, you want to put yourself in front of perfect waves. You want to find what are the trends that I need to get in front of such that I can mask and, and be a better business person than I actually am. And there is an enormous, I think, of the biggest waves, arguably, over the next few years are a couple of things, and one of them impacts your business. And that is what I call the great dispersion. And that is through COVID-19, likely 99% of people who contracted, endured, and developed the antibodies for the novel coronavirus never entered a doctor's office, much less a hospital. 
So we've had an explosion in remote health and telemedicine. I mean, an absolute explosion. And the notion that you could get a life-threatening illness and use smart cameras, uh, smartphones, video, uh, home delivery of you know treatments, uh, information on your phone, such that you could isolate and be treated. It's ripped down regulations. It's massively increased uh, investment in the space. And 17% of GDP, known as healthcare, or approximately, what is that, $4 trillion, is kind of up for grabs. Now, I, I, I would look at every po point of the supply chain in dentistry and think about what could be potentially delivered remotely. And the reality is about 90% of it doesn't apply to dentistry because dentistry, it's hard to imagine a more hands-on therapy than dentistry, right? But are there components of dentistry, whether it's post? A couple times I, do, I, I did uh, those trays or Invisalign with you, Craig, and a couple, it feels like I, maybe a couple times I, someone could have checked in with me with a smart camera, looked at my looked at my bite, my teeth, how the trays were fitting, and just yeah, we do that. I just me. wanted to, I just wanted to get FaceTime with you. That's why I, I dragged you into the office. <laughs> I, I do that actually. I'm doing that. Just there you, you, you be, being you. Um, you, you know, yeah, you have so, to show up. So I would just take every touch point across the consumer experience and say, where can I add new touch points? Where can I replace touch points with remote? learning or teledentistry and my guess is there's a lot of podcasts talking about teledentistry but there is there is um substantial there, that's just going to be a, an enormous trend the other trend is if you think about and i'm writing about it this morning in my newsletter no mercy no malice uh subscribe now uh is <laughs> that you just got seven subscribers by the there way there you go there you Boom. go seven more than i had a minute ago so you have if you think about the, the companies that have aggregated the greatest wealth. I'm a big believer in role models. And I think if you really understand Amazon, Apple, Facebook, and Google, you understand technology, you understand media, you understand monopoly power, you understand innovation. So I spent a lot of time just looking at these companies and trying to parrot them or mimic them or mirror them. And if from 2005 to 2015, the greatest increase in stakeholder value is a function of additional choice, endless aisle from Amazon and putting everything in your pocket with an iPhone. From 2005, and that is from five years ago to five years forward, 2025, I think the greatest accretion in stakeholder value is going to be a function of less choice. Now, what do I mean by that? I think as marketers and business people, we make a huge mistake believing that more choice is a good thing. It's not. It's a bad thing. Consumers want less choice. They just want to be more confident in the choices they make. And part of that is moving to what I call this recurring revenue bundle. And that is essentially the saying the rundle. And that is... An offering that is so strong, such yeah. great value, that it's not even a choice, it's an IQ test. Netflix isn't a choice, it's an IQ test. Amazon isn't a choice, it's, it's a basically a test of whether you have a credit card or not. It's got 97% renewal, meaning the 3% that don't renew, their credit card has expired, right? Or they've moved, or they've gone to prison or something. It's just, <laughs> you're much more likely to get divorced this year than you are to cancel Prime. So <laughs> there is, so the question is, how do you create are there opportunities in dentistry to create some sort of recurring revenue bundles? Is there basic dental care that you could charge an annual fee for, for whole families, and make it so compelling and include rope and other services such that you think, okay, this is worth it. Now, obviously, you'd have to be thoughtful about the, the rundle because you don't want to attract the consumers who are about to get you know, massive amounts of dental yeah, work. Yeah, that happens. It excludes certain amounts certain i imagine you go through that you play this game all the time with different types of insurance but the 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 flaw in the matrix or the glitch in the matrix you want to take advantage of is 
uh, and this is a dirty secret, I have, no one likes to admit this, I have terrible dental hygiene. I, I am a fucking horror show. Craig no, you're not. Likes, Craig no, likes you're me not. so much, much. I come in, I open my mouth, and he literally is like, his, his level of respect for me drops about 70%. And I don't mind that. I don't mind that. So what I do is I use, Craig has literally, I mean, he's okay. He has the greatest hygienist in the world. I don't come see Craig Spodak. I come see his hygienist. I don't want to embarrass him by saying her name. She is out standing i mean she's outstanding and she's my dental hygiene and craig will say this i make an appointment every three months to get my teeth cleaned every three months not every six months because it's basically she's my i don't know she's my yoda i like her i feel good about her anyways but the point is i think okay i make an appointment every three months but i end up coming in every six because life gets in the way and as a species we're terrible thinking about time i i I was on the, the phone to the ceo of equinox uh, you know, because I'm the uh, hashtag big deal. And yeah, of course. he said, all right, I said, all right, I, I pay $240 a month for Equinox. Why? Because I work out three times a week, 12 times a month, 20 bucks a workout. No, I don't. I work out four times a month because the clock keeps fucking moving. It's $80, anyway, $80 so, a workout. Yeah, I, work, I, I spend 80 <laughs> to 60 bucks a workout, right? So how do you get people, every business needs to be thinking about the following thing. How do I get, t- how do I tie my business to the clock and fundamentally exploit the glitch in the species, and that is our inability to register time. Time always goes faster than we think it's going to go. And then, as guys like you are looking to sell to some private equity guy and live large and buy that Ferrari and start banging your secretary and really let that full midlife crisis bloom. (laughs) I mean, really let it bloom. Yeah, that's true. All right, you want to move to recurring revenue because if you're a dental practice that's getting 100% of your revenue from transactional revenue, as most do, you're going to trade at a multiple of EBITDA. If you can figure out a way to be the one practice that gets 10, 15, 20% of your revenue from some sort of recurring revenue source, and that revenue stream, that revenue stream, is growing faster than any other revenue stream, you move from not six to eight times EBITDA or whatever private mm-hmm. equity guys are trying to roll you guys up at, you move to 10 to 15. Uh-huh. So the fastest way to accrete value in your practice would be one strategically thinking about remote. I'm sure there's all kinds of conferences that you and that Peter and Craig are figuring out to host and people much smarter than me. The other thing is to say, okay, okay, how do we how do we move into some sort of recurring revenue component of our business such that when an, uh, a buyer does come knocking, you say, all right, yeah, I'm the best. I have good margins. I don't know what the four-wall unit economics are that they look at, but more than anything, or average revenue per patient, I have more recurring revenue than any practice you're looking at, which means you're going to give me another one, three, four times my multiple. Um, anyways, those are those are kind of my thoughts. It's brilliant, my brilliant, Dennis, Dennis. If you, will. it's brilliant, and I think a lot of dentists that were so myopic, we we worry about. Well, geez, twenty bucks a month for that in-office plan. If they if they abuse and get their teeth cleaned too much, my cleaning could drop. But you're speaking to the fact that time marches on. We don't realize it. Like I just had my teeth cleaned like a week ago. No, it was actually seven fucking years ago. You right. know, like people that's have right. no concept, and they're just paying. Just to, to your point, gyms so used to be. Gyms used to be initially gyms where you paid per time back in the 80s and 90s when the sweat industrial complex kind of got momentum gyms were per time and then they realized you know what people don't come as often as they think so if we start charging them monthly they they think it's a good deal it's not it's a good deal for us i mean it's just striking if if there are 100 people in a gym that means there's 2200 members 
people just don't uh, the clock is just staggering and it, I'm not sure what the the instinct the instinctive reason. I think it's because we have such a fear of death that our ability to think of death as being uh, not understandable because it feels so far away is almost like a survival mechanism. But yeah, that's so true. I think about that because if you were constantly aware of how finite your life was, you'd be paralyzed with fear and you wouldn't be able to accomplish anything. You have we have a built-in ability to to delay it. That's why smokers don't quit smoking because they identify the smoke, the, the person with emphysema as something so far away. They know they're going to get sick, but they can't identify with it. It's One example you give, just to give some context to people, is you talk about Panera and how they kind of launched something, you know, with the unlimited coffee, just to give people context, yeah. how they can extrapolate into dentistry. And it kind of like saved Panera as a brand, right? Because they've gotten what a million subscribers, Scott, from this unlimited coffee gig. They yeah, weren't known for coffee. I'm about to invest and potentially get involved with Panera because I'm just fascinated. I mean, a couple of things. One, I don't know what's happening in dentistry, but if it's anything in the rest of retail, it's getting the shit kicked out of it. I just can't yeah, we imagine. Are retail. I can't imagine your numbers aren't down. Um, uh, you know, people think, well, all right, do I really need to go into a place with people touching me in a, 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 a closed environment, right? I just can't imagine. And people don't want to leave the house. I mean, I've left the house like three times in six months. But So this is like your heaven then, right? There you go. Uh, was well, an introvert that doesn't like people. This is heaven, seriously. So, it's it, you got to think valuations are down, and a restaurant's valuations are down. I think somewhere between a third and fifty percent, not by unit volume, but by brand volume of restaurants are just going away. They're just going away. They're getting swept off the face of the earth. So there'll be a consolidation of power. The ones that survive, the 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 biggest elephants who who survive the culling. We'll have more foliage spread across fewer elephants. So I think actually restaurants, the ones that survive, are going to do pretty well. Panera, the thing that attracted me to Panera is they, they launched this kind of limitless coffee thing. And they're owned by the same company that owns Pret-a-Manger. And for, as Peter referenced, for eight ninety five, for eight ninety five, you get limitless coffee. And they've already signed up. They're approaching a million members. That is, that is about $100 million a year. But that $100 million a year is worth between $500 million and a billion, whereas $100 million a year of just selling pastries Holy is probably shit. worth somewhere between 100 and $300 million a year. And you can see how they can start expanding it. They can go, okay, we're going to expand it to breakfast foods, all breakfast foods for twenty four ninety five a month. And then people start doing the math. I'm like, I get breakfast every morning. No, you don't. No, you don't. <laughs> You're off. You take Yom Kippur off. You get sick. You, you don't. You're late for work, so you don't grab breakfast. You get it once or twice, and at eight times a month, okay, at three or four bucks for what is 60 cents in, in bagels and muffins, all right, we print money, and we mm. people become more loyal to us, and then we can expand to lunch, and then we can expand to all kinds of shit, and we mm. can, the Rundle, if I were to say, all right, Peter and, Peter, do you have your own practice? I do. Okay, That's... so if, I, if Peter, yeah. Peter were to say to me, how do I, in a low-growth economy, double the value of my practice uh, while not increasing revenues, there's only one way. There's only one way, and that is to substantially increase margins, and that would be to say, okay, I'm going to cut out all the low-margin services and move to veneers or cosmetic dentistry, as our good friend David Frey has done in L.A., right? Yep. Shout out or to David. I'm going to move to high-margin, real high-value-add, a niche offering. That's the way you get higher margins. Or, or if you told me, no, I didn't do that, but I doubled the value of my practice, it would have to be some sort of recurring revenue program. So I think to be, I think there's a big opportunity if you have the capital and the ability to play 
uh, get off your heels and onto your toes. And also the less aspirational part of this, just because we're talking about operations and everyone probably listening is a small business person. I'm a small business person. You got to be ruthless in terms of cost cutting right now. A crisis is a terrible thing to waste. Sit down with your VP of finance or just if it, maybe it's just you and Quicken or you and your husband or you and your wife, whoever does your finances, go through every expense item, every expense item and say, okay, this insurance, this, this maintenance, this gardening, this water, this electric bill, this SaaS program, this, this software that supposedly protects me from being hacked, every expense, either eliminate it or reduce it. And if I don't eliminate it or reduce it, then I need to justify why it's fantastic. All right, my, my salaries, my health care, the, the guy or gal, the second shift or reception, that really cool water or coffee I serve in my lobby. Fantastic. How much are those pods? I would bet the person who shows up every month and delivers them to you and an 11-year bill expansion has figured out a way to raise the prices 4, 5, 8% a year. You ignore it. People love the coffee. And before you know it, you're spending 300 bucks a month on fucking coffee, mm-hmm. right? Anyways, my point is every expense. And you'd be surprised when you go back and talk to these people. You know, they're, they, they want to keep your business, and they understand it. So how do you take out – 5, 10, 20% of your costs in the crisis because you want to come out of this crisis in fighting shape. You want to be mean. mean. You want to be yeah. mean. You want to have tensile strength. And trying to cut costs in a bull economy is really hard because the guy delivering coffee goes, no, I'll just, no, I'm not lowering my costs. Now people are willing to lower their costs. You're writing a new book on this, right, Scott? That kind of pre-order us. I know this because I pre-ordered it, but it's the, the from crisis to opportunity, the post-COVID world. And is this some of the things that you talk of? Uh, thanks for bringing that up, Peter. Um, you should be a podcast host. Uh, yeah, it's called Post Corona from Crisis to Opportunity. I'm writing about education, the markets, and society, and what I think happens in a post corona world, both the good and the bad. So, yeah, I am, I'm writing about all this stuff and trying to turn it into a 240 page narrative. So, so uh, one thing I want to talk about, by the way, and, and that was really, really good. It was so freaking good, Scott, that I'm actually going to try to petition Peter to keep this private because I don't. This is such good fodder, and so oh, many yeah. good ideas are coming out. I'm like, this is too good. It's precious. It's, it's precious. precious. No one, can, no one else can have it. No, I'm yeah, just yeah. kidding. We we give everything away that we learn, um, and I appreciate this because my mind is spinning because we tend to look at revenue, small business people, rev, all revenue is created equal, and yeah. it's it's just not. It's not. There's certain things that you can scale infinitely. And, you know, I love the idea that you make it that it's a, a choice of intellect. Like, how could I not pay $7 a month to have this service forever? You know, I'm going to use the crap out of it. So it's, it makes total sense. Um, one thing that I want to touch upon is there's a great consolidation in dentistry where there's this corporate takeover where the dental service organization or DSO, as we call it, is coming to our marketplace. Private equity, gobbling, yeah. Yeah, private equity. And they're gobbling up practices. And there's this huge... Um, this, like the test for these corporate offices. But right now I'm looking for a general dentist to join my practice. I was lucky enough to get like 30 applications just from this one ad. So I'm getting a really- Well, you're the Tesla of dentistry as coined by a, a great prognosticator. That's right. He's, have, he's Desla. Dentistry, Tesla, Desla. I'm sorry, Greg, go ahead. Uh, yeah, so I appreciate that, guys. But uh, um, 
Uh, yeah. So, uh, so anyway, I've got 28 uh, interviews. Well, he lost his train of thought. He's getting old. <laughs> I know. I'm getting, I'm getting nervous. He's getting old. It's so time anyway, to, come on, it's man. It's time to hand come on, man. I got hairs. I get, okay. I get Don't let the dog. Don't let the dog throw you off your game. No, he's not gonna throw me off. <laughs> I got razor blades. And come on, man. You know the deal. I could do the, I could do the Trump impersonation as well right now. But anyway, anyway. Um. So, so I've got 28 applications right now. I'm getting a, like this small sampling of people, but there's a really cool trend. So everybody hates the corporate, oh, freaking corporate, I can't work for corporate. But I meet all these people that worked in private offices. I'm like, what's your production? How much do you produce on a given month? Um, I think like maybe 20, maybe, no, maybe 50, maybe seven. I, they don't really know. The corporate guys, the guys who have worked in corporate practices, like we do a morning huddle. I call each patient at the end of the night. I produce $64,000 on average per month. My hygiene ratio is blah, 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 blah. And the general dentists see that and say like, oh, they're all about the numbers. But statistically speaking, you know, you should know some form of your number. You are a business person. Mm -hmm. You do know that if you have a Jiffy Lube, you should change X number of cars oil mm -hmm. per day. So people hate the corporate idea, but I'm seeing that the guys that are in corporate are really well trained. And the only problem with this concept is that for 20 years, everybody's been banging this drum saying that the era of the solo practice, the private practice is over. And there is a trend showing that, but it's happening slower than people anticipated. So my, my thought is that corporate will take over. and that Because, because they're better operators, Greg, at, at business, there's, there's, the ground game is better, even though we detest them as an industry, because we think, yeah. oh, we're losing the cottage industry kind of thing, Scott. And, but yet this runway for consolidation is very long and, and private equity is any making their jobs. They're Dentistry, their jobs. I'm, yeah, dermatology was consolidated. Everything has been consolidated and dentistry has largely not been consolidated. So I guess our question is, do you see this as being an inevitability, even in a relationship-based service industry thing, I mean, going the way of dermatology or? Well, the question I would put that back to you guys is because I, you're going to forget more about this than I'm going to know is why has the consolidation wave not uh, come over dentistry versus other, other um, applications or other domains? Why do you think it is? Why, why hasn't it happened? I, I don't, it's a good question. I would think that it would be, I think that, well, that people know, hate going to the dentist. Number one, I think it's less transactional than going to the doctor and getting a prescription. I think you, the dentist is fearful and they have a relationship and people don't like mm -hmm. change. Therefore we've been able to resist that, that corporate feel a longer I, I than. Just, I disagree, Peter. Okay. So, so like was, Peter and I, stab. yeah. So Peter and I are not like typical dentists. People that are mm -hmm. listening to this podcast are not typical dentists. Typical dentists don't listen to dental podcasts trying to improve their business. Actually, they don't even think of themselves as business people at all. They actually don't believe they run a business. Mm -hmm. So I believe that since you're the object of the labor as a dentist and you don't actually pay yourself for the labor, you can fail or be failing and still stay alive in business. Like, so you, you talk to most dentists and say, okay, what, what's your profitability? Oh, it's blah, blah, blah percentage. Do you pay yourself for your labor? No, I don't. So their profit is whatever le is left over. So mm -hmm. I, I tell them, well, yes, any practice would be profitable if you could find a dentist that's willing to work for free. Mm -hmm. So you're working for free. So you actually have a profit of maybe negative 7%. You'd be better working off for working out of a corporate office and being paid 30% of what you do, which is usual and customary. So what I think the reason is, is that the average dentist is failing and they're still able to pay their bills. So they're failing as a businessman, but they're able to pay their bills. Yeah, there's a difference between being a practice and being an enterprise. You can be a sole practitioner, maybe hire a couple paralegals and make a nice living as a lawyer. You mm -hmm. know, leverage your contacts, get some office space, hang up a shingle. And that's fine. There's nothing wrong with that. Um, the question is, do you want a business? Do you want something that's saleable or that has asset value? 
such that rather than maybe just retiring after you put a bunch of money aside or, or bequeathing it to your children, that you might actually be able to sell it and recognize a capital gain. The, the only way to get really wealthy, in my view, you can save a little bit of money. You can get rich slowly. The way to get you know, wealthy is to have a capital gains transaction because of lower taxes. Yeah, it's an event because I've never made more than, I don't know, one hundred and fifty dollars or $200,000 in a given year from current income. But I've, I've managed to aggregate economic security because I'm constantly thinking about trying to build enterprise value mm. beyond what I personally do, such that at some point I can sell it and then pay 22.8% tax versus 40. Mm-hmm. And, and I don't adjust my lifestyle to that. I adjust my lifestyle to current income, That's which awesome. I keep modestly low. And then when I get a big punch or a big you know, hit, I'm able to save it. So and that's why thinking, physicians and dentists, as, as, as a rule, don't tend to be, we're not able to retire on time because our inc- income slowly creeps up, but not as fast as our spending creeps our up, our, our spending, yeah. creep, our lifestyle, uh, it, it, or sorry, our just, spending. You will raise your lifestyle to your current income. I mean, that is just, that is just a natural, unless you're really disciplined and there's forced savings, and most people think of forced savings as their home, but the reality is if you account for maintenance and taxes, a home is just an asset class that, that, does, that doesn't overperform any other asset class. The way you get wealthy, the two cohorts that are the wealthiest uh, cohorts in the nation are two people, and it's entrepreneurs and people who own real estate. Real estate is massively tax advantaged. Mm-hmm. There's, there's no asset class that while it goes up, you get to depreciate it or transfer it. If I, if I buy $100 in Apple stock, and it's worth $150. I'm not allowed to write off $3 of it every year. And if I sell it, I incur a taxable gain. Whereas in real estate, if I have a building that goes from $100 to $150, I can exchange it into something else. Anyways, real estate is massively tax advantage. I want to I want to put a pin in that because I'm I'm curious about your thoughts on something. You know, with with Trump being you know in the news about how little his tax liabilities are, and not to get political, what do you think mm-hmm. is going to be the long term effects of the real estate tax code? Do you have an idea or sense of it? Do you believe that these really amazing tax advantages will will persist into the next decade? Real estate is the most tax advantaged asset mm-hmm. class. It'll, it'll pursue, but where I was headed was the other cohort is entrepreneurs because entrepreneurs have a tendency to keep their burn low because they're constantly having to pour money back into their own business or they keep their burn lower than typically the wealth they're accreting each year because they don't have access to it. So it's almost like being an entrepreneur and putting money back into your business. It's a little bit like forced savings where all of a sudden, hopefully when you sell or have that transaction or borrow against future cash flows, you get a hit and it gets taxed at a lower rate. In terms of taxation, I struggle with this kind of morally, and that is now that I'm making good money, I engage in tax avoidance, whether it's capital gains tax write-offs or, you know, saying, oh, no, I don't use 18% of my house as my office. I use 22% or, you know, I'm thinking about opportunity zones. And the reality is uh, the complexity of the tax code creates this thing where if you have, once you start getting money, you can navigate the complexity and you end up paying a lower tax rate than people who make less money than you. Our, ta- the, our tax rate is regressive. and it's. I know, it's super is. It should be a consumption and, tax. It really should be. As I've gotten wealthier, my tax rate has gone on, down, which just makes no, no sense. Right. But that's a, different, that's a different talk show. The, where we all started here was you have to decide whether you want to practice or you want a business. And if you have a business, you've got to be disciplined about reinvesting in the business. You've got to be disciplined about a dashboard. What gets measured gets done. Measuring everything 
from your unit economics to your labor costs to your, your average margins to your growth, all that stuff. Because when you're not watching something, yeah. it just always heads in the wrong direction. You, you never, it's very rare that you kind of wake up and look at your credit card bill and haven't thought about it and go, wow, it's a lot less than I thought it was going to be. It just, <laughs> it just when, you're not, when you don't have your hands on the wheel, the car just does not drive mm -hmm. itself unless you're the Tesla of dentistry. Exactly. Anyway, mm -hmm. anyway you got to decide whether you want a business or a practice. Back to the, the roll-up thing. I just got to think every industry, there's been a massive, not a massive, but almost every industry, there's been a substantial a consolidation of power. I got to think scale matters. I got to think how it does. 12 practices negotiate your malpractice insurance is a better way to procure insurance than one guy. I, I just, and, and I mean, even on the insurance topic, the larger practices get higher reimbursements from the insurance companies. So same company, same geo area, you know, so Acme insurance company will pay this guy $5 and pay the big guy like $7. It's incredible. Yeah. So. Yeah, I gotta think scale. I gotta think scale is a big deal. And then what will, what will potentially? And I don't know the environment, but I, you know, there's so many SPACs right now. I can see a SPAC showing up to one of the larger practices and saying, "Okay, let's go public." But it was a SPAC, a special purpose acquisition course. So of course, this is a vehicle yeah. where. Why didn't we know that? Um, uh, basically, a group, a, ta a, ta a talented group of managers will go to the markets and say, "All right, we're raising five hundred million dollars." or 300 million or 100 million. And we're gonna take that money and we're gonna go buy a good business and we're smart people and we know how to operate it. And then they buy the business and then boom overnight, that business is publicly traded. And uh, so everything from- Just an imagine, arbitrage play then, right? Pretty much, it's yeah. kind of it just pour water IPO. You're, you're, okay. you're ready, you're done, you're, you're all of a sudden you're public overnight. And so, and the buyers hmm. tend to pay a little bit more because they only have two years to put the capital to work. But so, for example, Virgin Galactic private company, uh, Chamath Palpataya showed up and said, I have a SPAC, I'm buying this company. He announces, okay, we bought Virgin Galactic. Virgin Galactic is now public. He's about mm -hmm. to do the same thing with a real estate company called Open Door. But because there's such a, a, a imbalance right now in the public markets where there's more money chasing stocks than there are stocks coming public because entire swaths of the economy, whether it's retail, whether it's services, whether it's uh, hospitality, whether it's tra travel, have been basically prohibited from the markets because those industries are just getting, are so badly um, impaired. There's an imbalance because you have business, Main Street America, businesses are suffering, but at the same time, the rich white guys who are the hedge fund managers have more money than they've ever had. So there's more supply, oh, I'm sorry, more demand and less supply, which has created this huge arb where if you're a decent private company that wouldn't think about the public markets, someone might call you and say, I have a SPAC. You're a dental practice of, say, I don't know, 40, I don't know if there, this even exists, 40, 40 practices that does 110 million, I'm going to buy yeah, you for they X do that. and we're public. Mm -hmm. And overnight, so there's... There, this is, and I don't know what's happened in the dental environment. It might be impaired, but right now, if you're not in a business that's impaired, there has never been, maybe the exception of November of 99, there's never been a better time to be a seller. I'm actually thinking about selling Apple. I've owned Apple since 2009. I'm actually thinking about selling it because it's just, Apple trades typically somewhere between 10 and 15 times earnings, and it's yeah, trading like 27 right Scott, now. Or just like, is that what you're saying, a seller? Of all assets, kind of thing. Uh, every, every, almost every asset, unless it's in the bullseye of COVID 
And and dentistry might be. It might be your numbers have been so impaired the last three or six months. Valuations have come down. I don't know. But generally I don't know speaking. Either. Yeah, I, I don't. I hear just to get some context to it. We 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 deal with a limited number of practices in the mastermind. All those guys are kicking butt. So uh, where most of these guys are up over 2019. Oh, okay. I'm sorry, so mostly guys go. and gals. I mean, guys, I meant, yeah. Okay, so right. if that's the truth, if that's the case where people see, okay, this is just a blip, it's a cyclical downturn and we like the dynamics here or whatever, there has never been a better time, again, except for 99, to sell. Mm, the boards I'm on, the people I work with, uh, my friends, they call me and say, well, I'm thinking, I'm like, sell. Sell everything that is unbolted to the floor because when prices are high, you can talk yourself into believing, yeah, my shitty two-bedroom condo is worth 600000 No, it's not. It's worth four hundred. Mm. The market's frothy, low interest rates. You know, you always tend to believe, okay, when the market is you – don't, you don't say, oh, the market is overvaluing me and my work. When, you're, when your practice is worth a lot of money, you think it's a function of your grit and your genius. And then when the market when – when your practice is worth nothing, you think it's, oh, it's the market's fault. <laughs> no, your practice, if it's worth a decent amount right now, that's not your fault either. And market dynamics always trump individual performance. And there's right now in many businesses, I'm on the board of a company we've been approached about selling. And I said to him that the CEO doesn't want to sell. He's like, we're doing so well. I'm like, you could execute perfectly for the next three years and be worth half what we're worth right now. Wow. because. Every asset class, I don't care if you're trying to buy a BMW Z8, say you're a 55-year-old guy in the midst of a full-blown midlife crisis, and a Z8 is now $208,000, and it used to be worth 120000 Not that I know anything about that. Not that I've been looking at them every <laughs> night on AutoTrader. Not that I know anything about that. But if you are looking at assets, I don't care if it's art. I don't care if it's real estate. I, everything has skyrocketed or stocks. And so you want to be, if you're fortunate enough to have assets, if you're thinking about, the bottom line is if you are in the zone for selling your practice, and I don't know the dynamics of your industry, mm -hmm. this is a very good time to sell any asset. And, and it can change really, really fast. So whenever I get calls from people think, yeah, I've been approached about selling my business, I'm like, sell. And I'm like, well, I haven't told you the numbers. I'm like, sell. Because chances are the numbers are at historical multiple. How long would you anticipate we're in this window that you, you speak of? You know, I mean, I know. I'm just asking for you, your ear that is way to, better to the ground than ours. I'm just kind of, if you had to take a stab at it. I, you know, the honest answer is, Peter, I don't know. Because in okay. The Economist perfectly called how the dot-com bubble would unwind. It said, okay, it's going to start. It actually ended up starting with a recession in Japan, but they said, this is how it begins. It'll first B2C companies will get hit, then it'll be B2B, they'll be forced selling, and it'll be a downward spiral. They like laid it out perfectly. They laid it out though, they called it perfectly, but they called it in 1997. And over the next two years, the market went up another 40% per year. It is very hard to call a top. What I just look at is I say, okay, if I'm selling my practice, I wanna keep track of, and I have an opportunity to sell, I wanna look at traditional multiples, what we're getting now, and also a lot of it's situational. Am I, keep in mind, when you sell a bit, I would imagine when you sell a business, all that means is, okay, you sign up for another five, seven, ten years of work. Yep. And I've always sold my businesses when I, when I thought, all right, I'd like to leave in three to five years. That means I need to sell now. And also it's a function of companies aren't sold, companies are bought. I get calls and people say, I'm thinking about selling my business. I'm like, do you have an offer? I'm like, no. And I'm like, well, unless you're really, it's a mature industry and you have specific 
you know, buyers who've called you, you know, the time to sell is when you have multiple offers and you're in a, an environment where there is market dynamics that lend themselves to higher multiples. I have a gut or my sense is that is probably true in your industry, or I bet there's a lot of SPAC driven or private equity driven roll-ups. And yeah. I got to think that this is a pretty good time, a pretty good time to sell. And, you know, if you leave a little bit of money on the table and it wasn't the best time to sell, okay, that's fine. But I, I got to think this is I, on almost every asset class across every industry. It's a seller's market. It's incredible because like with all this economic downturn and uncertainty, the stock market's booming, Aspen real estate and houses in our area are being bought sight, un, sight unseen, yeah. you know, on the spot. It's just, it defies the laws of economic physics. I think the government pumping in trillions and trillions and trillions yeah. of dollars, yeah. buying everything. They're buying the world. Yeah. It's, and there's a bifurcation. We have a K-shaped recovery and that is it's the, the markets or the Dow or the NASDAQ are somewhat head fakes. They're illusory in the sense that the NASDAQ doesn't really reflect the economy. I actually think the NASDAQ is a very dangerous metric because it creates this illusion and this cold comfort that America is doing well. The NASDAQ, 90% of stocks are owned by the top 10%. The top 1% own 90% of the stocks. So the NASDAQ oh. and the Dow are basically a proxy for how the wealthy are doing. And spoiler alert, they're killing it. But it doesn't really reflect what's going on in the Main Street economy. If you make over $100,000 a year, only 10% or less than 10% have, any, have had any sort of layoffs. And as of actually, I think this week, it, their employment is flat. There's no more unemployment among people who make over $100,000 a year than was pre-COVID. And 60% can work from home. So, and you don't like to admit this. You don't like to say this out loud. But if you made a good living pre-COVID and you were in sort of an information economy job, you are spending more time with your family. You're not commuting. The skies are clear. Your stocks are up. You're wealthier. And you're watching more Netflix. You're kind of living your best life unless you've been negatively impacted by the actual pathogen. If you make less than $40,000 a year, only 10% of those people can work from home and 40% have been laid off. And a lot of them are forced to go to work and put themselves in harm's way. And they have children at home during remote learning who can't be supervised, and 50% of kids in low-income households have all of a sudden totally detached from normal STEM learning. And we're, like 50% of kids in low-income neighborhoods have substantially fallen behind their non-economically impaired peers in K through six. So poor households are, are coming off the tracks. A lot of the, you know, COVID-19 is more of an accelerant than it is a change agent. And all yeah, it was, already, it was already happening. On all the unhealthy dynamics, the dysfunction, we had a dysfunctional economy. We knew we had income inequality, but it's gone in a period of about four months. It's gone from dysfunction to dystopia. We have, we have a K-shaped recovery. If you make over six figures, there's a good chance you're living your best life in COVID, and you don't like to say it out loud. But I used to, Sunday to Thursday, I used to go to New York. I used to get on planes. You know this, Craig. I'd haul my ass to PBI and get on LaGuardia, you know, I'd, Delta and then in New York and then come home to Florida. You know, I was traveling a couple hundred thousand miles a year, a lot of stress. Now I'm at home and I'm no longer commuting. And my school, NYU, lets me teach remotely. I, I give a lot of talks and speeches and I do podcasting. I can do that all for my guest house. And three, four days a week now, I'm boogie boarding with my kids in the afternoon. And oh, and by the way, my net worth has gone up because I only own four stocks, Apple, Amazon, Facebook, and Google who year to date, pre and post pandemic are up 44%.
So, and then I look at a lot of the people who come in and out or I'm in contact with, uh, whether it's an Uber driver, whether it's the person delivering our groceries, and I'm like, what is their life like? You know, what's happened mm-hmm. to their life? And we call these people essential and run these sappy ads. Essential means we don't give a flying fuck about you. Essential means we're going to put you in harm's way. We're going to pay you like shit. And then we're going to run a commercial talking about how our heroes are essential workers. Yeah. You know, if they're really heroes, we would pay more than $8.75. Or if we thought they were heroes, we'd pay them more than $8.75. Anyways, I'm really beginning to rant now. In terms no, of the it's markets, Peter, brilliant, man. It's brilliant. you asked me where I thought the markets were headed and how long this is going to last. I don't know. I just know it's going to end. We've had Everyone looks at the pandemic as being historic. It's <clears> not. We've had pandemics before. What's historic, what's never happened before, is an 11-year bull run. So the markets are more singular right now than the pandemic. And everyone says, well, we couldn't have, we couldn't have expected this. Yeah, we could. Pandemics happen every few decades in America and elsewhere. What, what is really unusual is a market where Apple's trading at 36 times earnings. Yeah. So, you know, my thing is, all right, what do you, how do you adjust? And I don't know what to do. I don't know if you put it in cash, but I would say it's, you know, it's diversification. And if you have assets and you get a good price, absolutely hit the, hit the sell button. Punch out, eject eject you know it's 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 scary what you're saying because you know you're talking about you know i I always said that like the protests are really not you know obviously there's racial inequality and there's terrible things that have happened but it precipitated almost like this class war and that that's to what you what you're pointing out to is like that income inequality and the the disparity between different socioeconomic segments but it's a scary thing because what winds up happening from that scott like what how does that self-correct or does it or what what happens because uh, my brain's going to very scary thoughts with that like a civil war yeah i mean well, i'm just curious what you think well income inequality throughout history there's the good news whenever you get to these levels of income inequality historically they self-correct income inequality gets solved almost always it gets solved when we get to these levels of income inequality where one percent where there are 12 families who are worth more than the Southern Hemisphere plus India. Whenever you get to those levels of income inequality, it self-corrects. That's the good news. The bad news is the mechanisms of self-correction are war, famine, or revolution. And if you think of famine as pestilence, we effectively have two for, for three. We have more protests across the nation than we've ever had before. We have famine. So we're two for three, and there's nothing to say we might go three for three, and who knows? There's, I think there's a lot of different scenarios where we could end up in a shooting war or a non-shooting war with China and the South China Seas, or someone might try and take advantage of our moment of weakness, and who knows, and create more cybercrime. There are, we are two for three. When you see really wealthy people calling for higher taxes, yeah, some of that is, is because it's the right thing to do, and it's principled, but a lot of it is is self-interest. There are protests in front of Jeff Bezos' home on the Upper East Side where people have built a working guillotine. A working guillotine in front of a townhouse on the Upper Upper East Side. And then David Solomon, the CEO of Goldman Sachs, DJs at an event in the Hamptons, and the media just goes right after him because they weren't distancing. I'm like, for God's sakes, he DJed at an event. I mean, it's like... He's not an evil man. And all of this is people, we've seen it in Central America over and over and over. And that is a few families work hard, are blessed, super innovative, and they begin aggregating assets. They own the Coca-Cola bottling factory, they own the brewery, they own the, the, 
the license, the license, all the Unilever brands, whatever it might be. And it's very difficult, and the institutions aren't in place, for them not to co-opt the government such that they begin paying no taxes and getting wealthier and wealthier and wealthier. And then one day, 99% of the population wakes up and says, these seven families or these 700 families own everything. And they're like, okay. And they knock on the door and say, you got 24 hours to get out of here or we're going to murder you and your family. And by the way, leave everything behind. And this happens over and over and over. But the temptation to not to, to erode our institutions, the temptation for the top 1% to continue, two-thirds of billionaires speak to their senator on average once every three months. Jeez. How many times do you speak Whoa. to your senator? I mean, the access to power, the tax rates, and you can see how you incrementally start to make these justifications like, oh, I'm a good guy. I donate a lot of money. Pablo Escobar built parks. That didn't make him a good guy, right? So we, when you get to a point of this level of income inequality, oh my God. the people that we're, we're barreling towards, we're barreling towards a society where there's 350 million serfs serving 3 million lords. And at some point, the 350 million serfs go, fuck this. And I'm not saying they show up with guns or lanterns or pitchforks, but they start listening to very populist or nationalist appeals that, go, that in my opinion, are not healthy. But we're at a point where if you're in the top 10 percent, you know, it's almost come to a point about, like, yeah, uh, capitalism doesn't work without a comedy of man, without redistribution of income. But it's getting to the point, if you're in that top 10%, of self-preservation because people are pissed off. And the Black Lives Matter movement is justified in and among itself. The, but the, the racial injustice was the spark that ignited this incendiary. I'm a World War II buff. And the firebombing of Dresden, they dropped incendiary for two weeks. And it was this powder until the entire town was you'd walk around and it was like you were walking in ash. You were walking in two to four inches of ash. I'm like, what the fuck is this? And it was an incendiary. And then one night they dropped all of these fire, these little fire bombs, and they lit Dresden on fire. And the most of the people didn't die from the fire. They died because the fires were so outrageous. It sucked, literally sucked all the oxygen out of, out of the city. And something, you know, I forget what it was. More people, I think, or almost as many people as Hiroshima died of asphyxiation in the firebombing of Dresden. But the, we have been dumping this incendiary on the ground in the form of uh, incremental decisions that result in income inequality. And whether it's Black Lives Matter, or COVID-19, these things are just the spark that pull the oxygen out of the room and results in massive unrest. But uh, this is, and look at where we are now, it's only gotten worse. You know it's what else is part of the incendiary too, the ashes, if you will, is, is the highlighting of all these uber wealthy influencers on Instagram showing their epic life. Like, oh, here's my private jet. No, here I'm over here, I'm over there now. So you have people tuning into the life of these affluent people and it's pissing them off. You know, like why, like I'm at McDonald's working, you know, for $9 an hour and, you know, JLo is over there or whoever. I mean, I'm, I don't want to yeah. pick on JLo, but you know, the social media highlights the differences in your lifestyle, makes it very apparent. Yeah, you know? it's, 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 it's also really unhealthy for our teens. There's an epidemic of teen depression I mean, but you, you, you and I both have kids. Uh, Peter, do you have children? I have three. How old are they? Uh, 10, 6, and 
Okay, so you're in the same zone. I, mm -hmm. I started late. Uh, um, Craig's old, too. He started late. He's very old. Yeah, he I am. Good for 60, though. Very old. Good for um, 60. Yeah, so, but it, there's an epidemic of teen depression, and it's from the phenomena you're discussing, and that is when I didn't get invited to parties, which happened a lot when I was in high school, I'd go home, I'd turn on Brady Bunch, or I'd just get over it, or I'd, I'd hook up with my friends who also didn't get invited. Now when a 15-year-old girl doesn't get invited mm -hmm. to a party because her friends have decided to shame her, she has to see it out, play out in real time on her Instagram feed while she's alone in her room. Yeah. And boys bully physically and verbally, but girls bully relationally, and we've put these nuclear weapons in their hands in the form of phones with social media platforms. And so you've seen a 30% increase in suicide among young boys. You've seen an 80% increase in suicide among uh, young girls, and you've seen a 120% increase in hospital admissions from things like self-harm and self-cutting. So we have, and also to be fair, it's not, also, it's not all of social media's fault. A lot of it is a function of this concierge or bulldozer parenting where we solve every problem for our kids' lives, and we use so many sanitary wipes on their lives that they don't develop their own immunities. And then they go to college, or they get in high school, they get their heart broken, they face failure, and they just fucking freak out. Mm -hmm. Because they don't, they never develop the coping mechanisms for failure. Because we've always been there to say, oh, you know, you're awful at basketball? Well, I'll get you a coach and we'll pretend you're good at it. Oh, you know, we, we inject ourselves into their lives, and it's the princess and the pea syndrome that they never learn how to sleep on top of, you know, an uncomfortable mattress. We save them from all these problems and these heartaches. And we see it at, at NYU, and I'm, I'm going off on a tangent here, but the uh, school administrators at colleges have unwittingly become mental health counselors. We all kind of sit with our breath held around the freshman class because a bunch of kids come in, and they're just not ready for the level of competition. They're not ready to get their heart broken. They're not ready to be alone. They're not ready, they, they, these kids are really uh, immature. I'm even thinking my kids, in some ways, they're so f further along than I was with technology or studying. But at the same time, they're not as resilient. I used to, when I was, when I was my oldest son's age, I was going to school on my own, getting chased by dogs, getting <laughs> bullied, getting thrown in a trash can. And some of that was upsetting. But you kind of learn to cope. You kind of yeah. figure it out. And then I was coming home at 10 p.m. You know, the idea of my kid just taking off and not coming home to 10 p.m., we'd have SWAT teams and all it's sorts of Amber era. Alerts. Yeah. I mean, it's just an entirely different world. Anyway, social media and bulldozer parenting, we have this emerging mental health crisis among teens. I have no idea how this relates to dentistry. Yeah, I, well, it does I because it. – most of us are our parents and um, it's very true. Like we, we have this illusion that we're less safe, funny enough. Like if you ask the average person these days, like what is the chance of your kid getting abducted? We, we report higher levels of feeling or, or a greater levels of feeling less safe or more physical threat for our children. But in fact, we're, we're safer. So when we were, you know, statistically, spe statistically speaking, but when we were kids, you know, we were, I was allowed to be out all day to your point. You know, my, my parents would come home. I would come home and I, I remember my mom saying like, I smelled and looked like a dog. She'd make me take my shirt off and spray me down with a hose. So it's, you know, it's, I don't know. It's, it's a scary time right now in many, in many right. ways, but. Uh, we, I want to be respective of your time, but I got one burning question. Mm -hmm. if, if professor Galloway was a dentist in today's day and age, post COVID, mm -hmm. how would you be protecting insulating yourself, making yourself more bulletproof to what you see coming over the horizon. Yes, you talked about 
possibly looking at now's a good time to sell put a put a pin in that but what would you be doing well and by the way i think when you guys sell all you're doing is locking in some liquidity you don't you don't leave right my guess mm -hmm. is any well any peter would be able to peter in his situation he doesn't actually practice in his multiple practices so his he could he doesn't so you, actually you're truly a business person you're an he's a business person yeah peter. right yeah. right now i like that Peter's so dreamy. Look how handsome Peter is. Peter makes yeah. you look like me, Craig. I knew I yeah. love he's guy. rich and he's handsome and he has nice <laughs> removable teeth. Seriously, yeah. dude, you got game. I'm oh, coming back okay. to my next next life as you, nice. Peter. Yeah, you should see his next wife too. Life. She's this a smoke is the show. Day of my life, Scott. Thank yeah, you. yeah, he's 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 remarkably handsome, and I have a relatively unblemished record of of uh, heterosexuality, which is good. <laughs> Remarkably, not unblemished, you qualified. It. <laughs> yeah, yeah, remarkably. Not that there's I get, anything I, wrong with that. Not no, that I, there's yeah. anything wrong with that. Yeah, uh, go anyways, on with the disclaimer. Go on. Anyways, know. what would I go? What would I? Uh, He's distractingly handsome, is what you're saying. Look at you. Yeah, yeah. yeah. very good looking. Yeah. Very good looking. If Professor Galloway was yeah. a dentist, what would your ground game be? And go. Um, so. The, the, Look, it's not aspirational in this environment. I'd be using cr the crisis as cloud cover to really look at my costs and try and take 5 to 15% out of my cost structure. And I think that everyone you call and ask for better prices on for the first time is, is returning that call and saying, okay, I understand and really trying, um, you know, because it's, it's an old adage, but for every dollar in cost that you cut, if you have 25% margins, that's like $4 in incremental business. So that boring stuff or the ugly stuff is what is what moves the needle. You know, you guys are smart, embracing technology for scale, deciding if you're in a practice or if you want to develop a business, mm -hmm. putting in place the metrics to really understand your business. And then on a macro level, thinking about, is there an opportunity for me to embrace certain components of remote health where I deliver some component or add additional components of what I'm doing over the phone or through remote or using cameras. Mm -hmm. And two, is there a way to develop some sort of recurring revenue? Is there a role model in dentistry that I can adopt where I try and find some sort of form of, um, of recurring revenue? And, uh, you know, I think, I think the other thing That's is, great. Uh, I think there's an opportunity here if you're blessed with the ability to work hard right now, I would work really hard. I'm a big believer in functional speed. So Jerry Rice, Hall of Fame wide receiver, never the fastest guy in the field, but supposedly he could accelerate and decelerate faster than a receiver and so got open more. I think this is a great time. I think of variance, and that is I don't like to work. I'm really good at not working. I want to spend the majority of the rest of my life not working. Um, but I know when to work hard. I know when there's moments of functional speed. There's a lot of people right now, and I imagine this is true of dentistry, for whatever reasons, health reasons, economic reasons, people not wanting to come into a dentist's office that aren't running at full speed right now. If you're blessed with a business where you can run at full speed, just work all the fucking time. Yeah, pour gas on it. NASCAR, absolutely, put the hammer down, because NASCAR isn't one on the, on the track. It's one in the pits, and that is if you can, while everyone else is in the pits if you can be you know if you can get two Amen. more seconds by a faster pit stop at 220 miles an hour that's another eighth of a mile a lot of people are in the pits right now this is the time to really be where i said to my family gosh four months ago and you know everyone's good everyone's healthy uh what i do i'm blessed i have a home office i can write i can do podcasts i can do videos i'm like i'm just i'm gonna work all the time i'm like i'm gonna wake up at eight 
Can someone make me breakfast? Can someone bring me lunch? And I'm going to stop at 10 p.m. every night. And I'm, you know, not going to be a great dad, not going to be a great husband. But I am going to work all the fucking time because economic security is important to us. And I see an opportunity to leap out ahead of the competition. And the only reason I'm doing it is because soon I want to work less than everybody. And I just don't think there's any getting around it. I think balance as an entrepreneur is a myth. Oh, good. We just did a podcast with that. Really, our last podcast. Was our last called, podcast. I was like, don't, don't be confused. It's a myth. It's a balance. It's a myth. It's really yeah, it's, There's trade-offs. There's trade-offs. But the notion that you can be a successful business person and a good dad, I just don't buy it. I think you have to find moments of functional speed. And I want to spend a lot of time not working for the rest of my life. So I'm going to find, I'm going to find um, periods of functional speed where I can work a lot to set that up. I think this is one of those times. It's That's in awesome. sprints, right, Scott? We like it's right. in, you do sprints of a ton of work to get to a plateau so that you can afford those luxuries. But and, and you're saying that now is one of those times that's a that is a potential sprint. Double this down. This is where the yes. variance is. Yeah. And okay. yeah, so you want you want to apply that functional speed. Yep. Okay. That's Scott, this has been freaking awesome. Amazing. Uh, you know, I, I, I've got to go back and listen to this over and over again. I want to be respectful of your time. I know um, it took us months to get to this point. I was hoping that you'd, you'd chip your front tooth or something and I'd get to lure you in with a root canal and, uh, and a podcast. It'll happen. Yeah. But um, this has been incredible. I mean, as, as to, you know, we can, Peter and I consider ourselves thought leaders in dentistry and we need uh we need to jump off this and, and spend some time because we got a lot of things that can come out of this. It's really cool. 100%. Really cool. And it was extremely relevant. So in your mind, you're probably thinking like, ah, I don't have parallels for dentistry, but man, you hit the nail on the freaking head. It was awesome. Go on, go on, you guys. And you are go so incredible. Yeah. You should be in yeah. the services business. So wait, you I are. should be. Yeah. I yeah. feel so comfortable because Hot I've watched side manner. so many yeah. YouTube videos. I feel like I, we're just, just guys talking now because I'm always talking to you on the YouTube. So, uh, so yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah uh, Peter talks to videos a lot. He, yeah, he yeah, interacts weird, with things. He screams at the, I got lots of YouTube friends. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So uh, professor Galloway, you're the best. Thank, thank, you. thank you so much. Thank you. Congrats on your success awesome. guys. And Craig, keep, keep taking care of my family. Craig Spodak, the Tesla of dentistry, a Delray, good citizen, all around good guy. Good guy, nice guy, nice family man. See him on the Little League field. I mean, this well, is Craig. Maybe you can sell for the stuff. same I'm, I am rooting Tesla. for you. I appreciate that, bro. I'm rooting for you as well. And uh, I hope to uh, post pandemic see you on those fields again. Watch your son slam in the baseball. That was fun. Is All right, brother. Take care. Nice to meet you, Peter. Thank Take you. care. Thank you as well. Thank you, buddy. All right, guys. All right. There you have it, ladies and gentlemen. Professor Scott Galloway. I encourage you keep learning from this man open up some youtube stuff on him find him on doing other podcasts he's just a smart man beyond his ears um as always i want to encourage everyone leave us some review if you can whip out your phone pull out your itunes or your podcast app scroll all the way to the bottom and uh bang out the stars we deserve lastly if you can uh sign up for our text message just text the words bulletproof to 33777 that's bulletproof to 33777 what that's going to do it's going to put you on the announcements for our next summit once we get out of this covid mess and uh some other preferential stuff like courses and uh yeah just cool announcements that's it everyone hope you have a great rest of the day and uh take care we'll see you soon